what are we obsessed with this week? I'll tell you, we are obsessed with Lori Diamond. Folks, we are veering off our usual course. If you're new to the podcast, typically Katie and I talk about um, some random, often obscure obsessions. But we have a very special guest star that we want to introduce to our audience because if you don't know Lori, you are missing out. So Lori Diamond, welcome. Thank you. I'm so thrilled to be here with y'all. Well, we are so excited to have you. And thank you all for your patience. We were supposed to record this a few nights ago, but I was having toddler drama. So And I had put on, we were going to do it where we saw each other i had put on the makeup done the hair look kind of oh, cute Lori. so then i had said, to turn around it was so and say no makeup but i'm ready <laughs> i'm ready to go well you we are- should have told you yeah we should have told you we're, we we don't do video we're oh, just okay. an well, audio media i even yeah. put oh, lipstick on for you today just to oh. make me feel good oh please I love a little extra pop well, so Lori, for those of you, for the, our audience that doesn't know you, can you give us like a, a little summary on who you are? Uh, absolutely. I was uh, born and raised in Charleston, West Virginia. Loved it. Everybody got to go to their neighborhood school. And I'll tell you a cute story. I was um, back in the dark ages. In the mm-hmm. 60s, you, you could walk to school, you know, nobody worried about anybody. And I must have been in the second grade, and I have a little ADHD. Don't <laughs> um, <and laughs> we all? Really, Lori, don't we all? I, I no, think people don't I, have no, it. No, I did, but they didn't know what to do. They never knew what to do with me. I even used, and I'll tell you, I used to say to my class, where do you think I spent my days? And they said, Mrs. Diamond, you were in the hall. And I said, that's exactly right. But anyway, this <laughs> one day, I would walk to school with Mary Preston and Danny. And we, it was one of those snowy, icy in West Virginia. We we're in the mountains. And there was a, a sheet of ice. And I told everybody, come on, let's go play ice. And we'd get on our butts and we'd, you know, slide down the little driveways, which were steep and all that. And I don't remember what time we got to school, but it was not on time. Well, today, if you're not on (laughs) time, you know, they'd have the police at your parents. And I walked in with, you know, my little soggy underpants. (laughs) <laughs> and everybody else walked in. Well, the other two were such goody two-shoes. Who got into trouble? All, even though we all three did it, and I suggested it, I got into trouble. Oh, but I love that it. Is so I love Danny and Mary Preston. Not yes, right. Danny and Mary Preston. And then uh, in fourth grade, I changed neighborhoods. But see, in, in Charleston... You would go to school with all, everybody would go to public schools. There were no private schools in it. And so you knew everybody in your neighborhood. So I knew everybody from my old neighborhood. I knew everybody from my new neighborhood. And I lived there, you know, until I went to to college. And then um, I used to come to New Orleans uh, because my grandparents lived, my mother 
grew up on Audubon Boulevard. And I didn't know that. Yes. Yeah. And I and I used to come down to New Orleans every summer and every Christmas when I was little. And then it got to be uh, mostly like in the summer to visit. And I swore I would never, ever move here. Well, I moved here because, unfortunately, my mother had breast cancer. And I said, well, after college, I'll come here for a year and I'm getting the hell out. Well, you can see I never got out. So and then I met Alan on a blind date. And then I had two girls, Lindsay and Meredith. Meredith is very much like Alan, which is nothing like me. And, of course, we know how Lindsay is. And I was... <laughs> And I taught school and I think I became a school teacher because I loved having an audience. And I also love a captive audience. That I, and I also wanted to be a teacher. Captive well, audience is the best. But, but when I, back when I was getting my degree, they didn't have all these other degrees that you all can get today. You were the nurse. Well, I was flunking math, so that wouldn't work. And plus, I don't like blood. I mean, you didn't get that many. And I didn't do theater, which I probably should have done. But so I can't sing, dance or anything. But I love to act. So I figured teaching school, I'd have, I got to have an audience, which I, of course, to this day, love. And I ended up teaching for uh, probably 20 some years. And then I took some time off. And I went and became a tour guide. And I found I was a true hog's heaven, heaven when you gave me the microphone on the bus. And I Wait, mean, Lori, when was that? I, don't, I didn't know you ever did after that. After I left St. George's Girl, went back to Newman, I became a tour guide, took class, and did a lot of touring. Like, and what I'm year telling, was that? Oh, my God. That is a darn good question. Uh, Lindsay would have been, how old were you? Uh, Lindsay was in middle, I guess middle okay. school. So, so late 90s, all, early 2000s. Yeah, yeah. And anyway, so I went and I just was in Hogs Heaven. One day I'm giving a tour. And I realized that they were not paying attention to me. Uh -oh. And I said, okay. So I said, excuse me, excuse me. Like my kids were, excuse me, do we have a problem in the back of the bus? <laughs> and the man says to me, yes, we do. There's no air conditioning back here. Uh -oh. Now, I'm on a charter tour. And it hadn't come to the front. The whole back of the bus had no AC in the summer. This was the summer. Oh. And I'm thinking, oh, shit. So I said, okay, we're going to play a game. Forget the tour. We're going to pretend like we're in a sweat box. And we're <laughs> going to see who can sweat the most by the time the bus driver stops the bus. <laughs> Oh my I god! Give, I couldn't give the tour anymore. They were gonna. They were no more listening. They were dying of a heat stroke. And then everybody thought I used to be. I used to work at the Sheridan for the New Orleans, uh, the New Orleans, uh, 
you know, what do you call it? The bus company, you know, the gay tours, the New Orleans, whatever. You see the bus all over the city. The and hop people, on, hop off bus? No, but this is one where you could get tours and they would get to you go anywhere. Um, I don't know. It's called, they were the New Orleans something. It was a New Orleans, that, but I forgot. The Katie, tour. I feel like you should know this one. I know. I don't know. Anyway, anyway yeah. what happened was... People used to think that I was, you know, Will and Grace, the crazy one on Will oh and Grace. Um, they thought you were yeah. Karen. From they thought I was Karen. I, I will go places and people will say to me, my God, there's Karen. I'd be working at the Sheridan for this hope, for this. And they'd say, oh my God, Karen's there. And I would have people start taking pictures of me. And I'd give tours. And they would ask me if I was a relation to her, if I was her sister. So guess what I started saying? Yes, but I go by a different name. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't, I mean, I just played right along. Then one day they had. I think it was the Tennessee something. There, or maybe there was just people from Tennessee. So I'm talking to them and I said, well, you're never going to believe who I taught. And they said, well, who did you teach? And I said, mm -hmm. I taught Peyton Manning. Well, honey, next thing I knew, there was more people from Tennessee wanted my autograph, taking my picture. <laughs> and, I, and they said, you got to come over here. This is this is Peyton Manning's kindergarten teacher. That got me famous. So I had oh a picture God. taken. I started autographing things at my station. I mean, it was crazy. So between on Will and Grace, the spotlight being paid. Oh yeah, it was wild. It was crazy. So I mean, you know, you never knew what was going to come out of my mouth. And then when I would teach school. I would tell the kids that they needed to come out of their box because, you know, there's so many kids that are scared just to do anything. And finally, they would say to Mrs. Diamond, did you ever have a box? And I <laughs> said, you know, I got to tell you, I don't know if I did or not. And they I said, don't see you having a box. But they asked me this and the, and it they said, have you ever walked in any place and been nervous, scared? And I said, well, yes. I said, when I'd have to go take an exam or I'd walk into somewhere and I didn't know people. Not that I was nervous, but I would check out who on to Molly Mingle with. And I said, I didn't just jump in. I said, now, once I know you, there's no stopping me. So right. I would have my fourth graders always they would have to do a mirror at the beginning of school and they would have to tell me, I said, look, I can see you on the outside, but I have no idea what you're like in the inside. So I used myself as an example. I said, forget my brown hair, forget this, that. Tell me what you think is going on inside. They say, you're an extrovert, this, you're that, you're kind. I said, wait a minute, how do you know I'm kind? You don't know me. I said, I could be hard. They said, well, you seem to come on. 
So anyway, you, we used adjectives to kind of describe ourselves and what we were good in, if we were good in sports or math or science or whatever they loved and liked, and then some of their dislikes. Year, the year goes by, and at the end of the school year, I would give them another mirror. And I would say to them, okay, write the person that you are today from the inside. Then they had to give them back to me. So they had the date of when they wrote it the first time, like in August. And then they right. gave it back to me in May, you know, when they did it again. I would read to them, not saying who it was, some of the kids that I would read about, you know, didn't even recognize themselves. That's how much they grew. Yeah. Oh they, my God. I, I love that. Isn't that bad? And I would, and they would say, I didn't write that. And I'd say, okay, whose handwriting is this? Mine? <laughs> <laughs> and they would say, oh my gosh, you're kidding. And I said, look, that's what you described about yourself. And they just would just go, wow. They could not believe it. And I said to them, if you stay in quick, if you stay in mud, it's like quicksand. You're just going to go down and life's going to pass you by. And I said, none of us like to do anything out of our comfort zone. But if we don't try, then we're not going to see if we can do it. Right. And that I taught. That is a great lesson. And I taught, uh, you know, I taught grades and, and the last two years I taught, they asked me if I would teach fourth and fifth grade drama. And I said, I've never taken a drama class in my life. And they said, Laurie, have you ever seen how you teach a class? I never paid attention. It was my personality. So I said, okay. So I thought, oh my gosh. And that's what I realized. And I'll tell you what's interesting is what you realize is when a kid goes to give a report, think about this, anybody, any public speaking, when a teacher is teaching, they go to the blackboard and what do they do? They turn their back to write on the whiteboard or blackboard or whatever it is, right? So they're turning to the blackboard, not to the class, correct? So I yep. told the kids, your arms become your props. So if I'm going to sit and work, I, I take my arm to touch the board to go over a problem. But I'm looking at you. When you go to read something, where do your eyes go when you go to read? Well, they go to the floor. Where does your mouth go? It goes to the floor. So who are you talking to? the floor I said that's correct and I did plays we did like the wizard or we did a uh, we did a whole bunch of plays at Newman and, and I was the director and I said when you're talking because we didn't have microphones on the little one is I said if you're looking to the side of the stage where's your voice going to the side of the stage or up up down wherever you have to get to the back of the auditorium for people to hear you. In a classroom, when you're doing something, you have to come out. And, and, I, and I said, 
And if you're going to worry about what so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so is going to think, you know what? That's pretty pathetic because how do you know you're not fabulous and so-and-so, you know, whatever. So I right. wanted them to show that you don't have to be what everybody else is. And I, and I used myself all the time. And I said, if I... Can you imagine if all the teachers were like me and the kids go, no, I said, thank you, exactly. <laughs> and I said, can you imagine if I was this or that? And they went, no, that's not your first night. I said, exactly. I said, I had to find what worked for me. And once I so found what, what, yes. What, what would you say, like, if someone's struggling, whether it's a kid or an adult, they're struggling with confidence, what would be your advice to help them build it up? That's a great question. What I would do is I'd find every positive thing that they first know, or, or I would say to them, oh my God, look at how you did that. I'm shocked. All right, high five, give me half five. You're awesome. I mean, that's, I'll tell you <laughs> what I did. This is, now I'll tell you what I did. I work with kids that, I knew were probably ADHD because I'm ADHD. So, and one of the things is processing. Let's say, and I would, and I did a lesson one day and I could tell this person was taking a vacation because your eyes, you could tell their (laughs) mom was not with the class. And so I'm teaching the class and I said, okay, give me the answer. And the person raised their hand. And they gave the right answer for the first question, even though we were on number four. There's, you know, and instead right. of putting this child down and saying, we're not on that question, I turned it around and I said, that is so awesome. I am so proud of you. Uh, but Mrs. Diamond, we're not on that question. I said, I don't care. <laughs> I got the right answer. I said, look, and I looked at a kid that I knew could help him. And I'd say, so-and-so, can you help so-and-so skip two, three, and four and start five with us? Okay, no problem. And that we went on. So nobody was humiliated. You know, you, you stop the humiliation. You make the kid right. feel great. I'll tell you another story. I was called queen mother. My, all the kids in the lower school, I was the queen mother. And the way, and the way that came, they never called me Mrs. Time. was always a queen mother. And the way that came about was I had a child in the fourth grade. And one day he kept saying, mom, mom, mom. He wasn't thinking. It just wasn't. Right. And the kids were going, that's not your mother. That's Mrs. Dunn. And I said, you're exactly correct. Even though I'd love to look like your mother, it's me. But you know what? <laughs> I know what you were referring to. You were thinking of the queen mom. And I said, that's what the name will be. From now on, I will be queen mother. And that's how that came about. I didn't like want to hum- and wait a minute. You know how I taught um, uh, common and proper nouns? How? how I taught common and proper nouns is this was the one year when... Um, uh, William and Kate were getting married and right. the way I taught common and proper, you know, we talked about like this grocery store and then a store, you know, the difference in that. But I said, 
let me give you a little story about proper and common. And I used Kate and William as my story. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so you never knew oh. where I was going to take a lesson. And Katie, I said, you, you know that commoner who's now Kate? Well, trust me. I said, <laughs> common name is a door, a table, whatever. And you want the special name to go with it, like, you know, Dornyaks or whatever, whatever. Or the hospital auctioner instead of hospital. So that's how I taught that one year of doing common and uh, common nouns and, and proper nouns. I love that. Uh -huh. So Lori, would you say, have you always been this confident? Like, do you think you were born this way or do you think you've developed it? No, I can tell you what it was. And, uh, you know, going to enough counseling, you know, I've been, I got my drift. Uh, so <laughs> I, had, um, I always knew school was hard for me because I couldn't pay attention. Well, when I grew up, uh, you know, I went to school starting in the early since I was born. I'm 67 years old, so I was born in 54. And they didn't know what ADHD was, but I knew that all you all would be sitting there doing your work. And I'd go and just carry on a conversation. And I'd hear, Laurie, I'm going to tell you one more time, sit down or you're out of the class. I mean, that was my life. Mm -hmm. And I had someone interview, you know, a psychologist before uh, when Lindsay got diagnosed with ADHD, I said to Chin Chin, we all know Dr. Chin Chin, you know, Lindsay's Chin Chin. And <laughs> I said, Chin Chin, I, I know I'm ADHD. People tell me that all the time. She sent me to two psychologists and they do it differently than they do as a child. And they came out and they said, Laura, you are classic. ADHD you don't know that was the best feeling I ever had and I'll tell you an interesting story and I was talking to someone about it the other day when I was in the seventh grade they had seven one seven two seven three seven four seven five I can tell you who was a seven one who was a seven two which of my friends were seven three some whatever because mm -hmm. the lower down you were on the scale they, it was like dumbed down. Mm. And people say to me, Laurie, how do you remember that? And I said, because I wasn't up there with you all. I was down there, you know, because I couldn't sit still. And um, my confidence was not in the education part of it. But I'll tell you what I did. And this is why I won't do this to any child. I became the class clown because I wasn't, I was going to laugh at myself before you could laugh at me. Sure. Because things were so tough. I couldn't sit still. I mean, my mother would go at parent conferences and her juggler vein would be coming out and I'd say, oh God, you're in. And she'd say, shut up. Just shut up. I'm begging you. Shut up. <laughs> well, it was just too hard for me to shut up. I couldn't do it. And yeah. so instead of people saying to me, Laurie didn't know how to do that, or Laurie didn't know how to do that, I would start, I brought the attention so nobody else would bring the attention. Well, then as I got older, friendship was never one of my problems. 
And right. I always had tons of friends. And I remember when I was in, I don't know if I was in college or high school, or maybe I heard it both. I would hear people say to me, God, if Laurie gets depressed, we're all going to be depressed because she's our light of sunshine. And I never forgot that. And I remember going to counseling and trying to, you know, get some shit, you know, um, when Alan got diagnosed with MS and I was trying to, to get, you know, the kids and I all on the same page. And I remember saying that to a psychologist saying something about, well, everybody always said, I can't get depressed because I was always their light of sunshine. And this person said to me, Laurie, how many masks do you wear? And I went, what? And they said, no, I want to know how many masks do you wear? Because people have said to me all my life, do you ever get upset? Nobody ever sees that side of you. Well, of course I get upset. And who do I take it out on? Who do you always take it out on? Your family. That's where your guard comes down and they get to see it. But you try to keep upbeat for everybody out. And before I would never even say with Alan's illness, how's Alan? Fine, fine, fine. And I finally said to, to the psychologist one time, I said, well, they've got their own problems. They don't need to hear mine. And they said, Laurie, they wouldn't ask you if they didn't want to know. Right. And, yeah. and I had a kid, you know, uh, I had kids and uh, when I, I would work when I, before I left, years before I left, I started only working half a day because I'd take Alan to the doctor in the afternoon. And the kids would say to me, why can't you stay all day? <laughs> First of all, I said, I don't want to stay all day now. <laughs> I said, well, and, and, then, and I was real open with Alan's MS and we talk about MS. Yeah. I was very upfront with them. And, and I said, well, Alan doesn't drive. And I called him Alan and the kids called him Alan. And I said, well, if Alan doesn't drive, I said, I have to take Alan to his doctor's appointment. So it gave them an understanding why I was there part-time. And if I could stay full-time, that meant Alan was okay. Because they would say to me, if I stayed all day, that means Alan's okay. Yes, Alan's fine. I'm okay. That's why I can stay all day. So I tried to be very honest with people around me to understand that what you, what, you know, life doesn't always deal you the best. And if someone had said to 18 year old Laurie or child Laurie, guess what? You're going to be married 10 years and then you're going to have a third person in your marriage. It's called multiple sclerosis. I would have said, you're out of your mind, but you know what? You look at a glass as half full, not half empty. And I always said, they said, well, do you sometimes see that glass is half empty? I said, of course I do. But I said, I just keep telling myself that it's half full. It's, it's got to get better. It can't, it, for me, it's not going to get worse. Can it get worse? Absolutely. But that's what I'm trying to tell my kids, my classroom, myself. So have I always had an upbeat attitude? I have, but there's been blockages and I've realized that once I get through that blockage it's going to be fine on the other side yeah well thank you Lori for sharing that I mean I really appreciate like everyone's different so I can't say 
you know, one's better than the other, but I really appreciate people when they're transparent. I feel like I strive for that. And even I would say Katie and I both on this podcast, like we talk about some of our quirks and it doesn't always put us in the best light, but I think like in doing so, it allows us to connect with other people or just see well, it like- does. And you know what? That's what I always tell people, you know, everybody around me uh, is that said, look, we're not all the same. And if we were all the same, if we all talk the same, look the same, whatever, it would be a pretty boring life. And we always want to make ourselves do better. I always think, gosh, I should have done that. I always want to do better for myself and for people around me. Do I always do it? Hell no. But I try. <laughs> but I think what, what I've come to realize is that with when you're with a group or your family or whatever, you know, Alicia, you've got a daughter that's going to be looking at you, you know, mother-daughter relationships. And I think that's where we come to to look at ourselves and say, this is where we can get better. And uh, hold on one second. Gail, I'm going to call you right back. I'm I'm doing something. I'll call you right back. Great. Bye. That was Abby's mother. <laughs> oh, no problem. Well, she must have heard. She must have going to tell me about her going to go-go and seeing, <laughs> you know, I'll call her back. But anyway, but that's what I've always wanted to do. And as I say, as a teacher with someone that had learning issues and couldn't sit still with that, I always took those students really to my heart more than the ones that could get it one, two, three. I mean, I had a child that I had to read directions to and I was thrilled. I said, are we ready for the directions? And, and, and that's what you have to do is you find what that person doesn't feel good with and see if you could just give it a little tweak to make them feel a little better about themselves. I feel like they were well, so lucky I to have you that. as a teacher. Like, I feel lucky to just like listen to you for the past 30 minutes. <laughs> this Aww. has been so nice. Oh, I mean, well, if it, can, yeah. Well, no, I can just say that what I felt as a child, I didn't want another child to feel. Do you know, I can still remember the teacher that made me feel two feet tall, and that was my fourth grade teacher. I was always, always, always doing something wrong. But I can still tell you to this day who got to erase the boards. These were blackboards. Who got to do the erases, you know, with the chalk. Who got to put the stuff back in the chalk box. Who got to clean, wash the board. And I can tell you, it was never me. Aw. No, I mean, and I refused to let another child go through that. Right, and yeah. It was just an awful, awful, awful feeling. And I just said, this is not happening ever. This won't happen to anybody. So when you say about the confidence, I think when someone watches you and you can make a mistake, and I I always say to the parents, how do we learn if we don't make mistakes? You learn from your mistakes. Because they would say, oh my gosh. My child can't make mistakes. I said, really? If I had no mistakes in this world, I never would have gotten where I was today. Right. 
So, you know, that's another thing that they, ha- you know, you, you've got to just take yourself and make yourself become the person that you feel comfortable with. Not who so-and-so is going to, you got to be comfortable in your own, in your own uh, body. Right. Well, Lori, that is great advice. I mean, I think we're going to obviously need to have you like as a semi-regular recurring guest, because I think we could just call this life lessons with Lori. Because there's so much to take from this. Oh, well, thank you. Well, I appreciate it. And I, uh, you know, the thing is, these people that try to make life seem like it's perfect and nobody has a perfect life. I remember when I, when Al and I, we went to counseling before we ever got married. And I remember thinking I wanted the the picket fit, you know, the perfect thing. And he says, it's not out there. What are you looking for? It's not there. And I realized <laughs> that so many people behind closed doors, you have no idea what goes on. And um, I used to tell the parents, even when I taught kindergarten and first grade, I would say, please don't try to hide anything because they come to school and they in their roundabout ways will tell you. And I'll never forget, um, I had a child, I was in my 20s. It was when I taught kindergarten. And uh, he started acting out. This is a child that never acted out. And yeah. finally, in his own words, basically, he was saying that daddy was moving out of the house. So mom comes in for conference and she acts like everything is perfect. And we right. finally said to her, but your son's hitting people and he's not doing his work and da, 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 da. And I said, he did say daddy was walking out. And she flipped on me. I thought, oh my God. Oh God. But she started to cry. And she said, what he told you is 100% correct. And she said, I feel like a new person. I feel like I don't have to hide it. Right. And And I said, you don't have to hide anything. We're not judgmental. We want your son to do the best that he that he can do and the best he can be and if this is weighing on him he's watching you and he knows mommy's hurting and he wants to take your pain away so what's happening is he brought it to the classroom and started lashing out and doing x y and z she never thought of it that way and he ended on such a high note and so did that mother oh I love that. Yeah. So you just, and I used to tell the young teachers when I would do parent conference, because I've been on both sides of the fence. I've had to hear it and I've had to receive it. I've had to give it and receive it. And I said, they are as nervous as you are. And I always used to, when the most, I'd say 98%, there were some that were cold that didn't want it, but I'd always hug them and if woman get upset, I'd go hold her hand or him, you know, and it just showed them that we are also human beings and we are there for your child and we will do anything for your child. But the line has to stay open on all parts. Right. Yeah. 
I have a one up. I have a funny story to tell you. You know, we talked about Lizzie went to De La Salle because she had learning issues. And I remember I took her out of Newman and then she went to St. George's and and then she was told she had to go to De La Salle. And she said, no, mom, I'll go back to Newman with all my friends. And I said, mm, no, not in this lifetime. You're not. And uh, so I said, Lindsay, we got to go look at De La Salle. She doesn't remember this, but I remember very vividly. We walk in and we meet this woman. Now, two Jewish mommy and little girl, and we're walking in. I said, Lindsay, there's Jesus and Mary, and they're following us with their eyes. She goes, who? <laughs> <laughs> who? I said, Jesus and Mary, they're out there looking at us. And she goes, mom. Quit worrying about Jesus and Mary. The woman that's giving us the tour is wearing polyester. <laughs> <laughs>